Hey, what's up guys? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. Today I'm going to be talking with Casey Harvey. Casey is a cross checker for the Texas Rangers. He lives up in the Seattle area and he covers the whole West Coast for the Texas Rangers. So we're going to dive into his story, how he got into scouting, what does a cross checker actually do? And he also has a great information for you as a young high school kid, even a, just a human being in general. Um, he unfortunately lost his wife to melanoma, to cancer, just a few, about a year and a half, two years ago. And so he's going to talk about that story as well and how important it is to make sure you take care of yourself um, with sunscreen and that you're doing the proper things to take care of your body, your mind, and your health. But hopefully you enjoy this episode with Casey Harvey. Hey, what's up, Casey? How's it going, man? What's going on? How are you? We're doing good. I'm doing good out here in Las Vegas. We just got done with the 2020 draft. Um, I watched it from my couch as well as you did at home. How did your draft go for you this year? I think it went, you know what? It went great. It was obviously a lot different than, you know, me and you and what we're used to doing. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about it. I think we had some really good, you know, young high school guys we took on day two. And, and we got a really good hitter in the first round. And everyone really worked great together as a group. And, uh, it was strange being on Zoom for three to five hours a day, five days a week. Yeah. <laughs> and then having like homework sent to you, like a little Excel spreadsheet, like, hey, finish this. Right. So other than that, man, I'm, I'm glad, you know, it's Groundhog's Day, so to speak. There you go. So Casey's up in Seattle, lives in Seattle. He is a cross checker for the Texas Rangers. So for those that don't know a lot about scouting, there, there's kind of, you could say levels, right? We have the area scout the cross checker, a national cross checker, and then up to the scouting director. So that's kind of how the, the hierarchy goes. So tell us, how did you actually get into scouting? Wow, uh, long story, I'll keep it, I'll make it a short story, a long story, <laughs> short story. How about that for a we second? We love long stories too. So I, I got a lefty, uh, my brother, my youngest brother was a left-handed pitcher that uh, was on the area code team. He was, his name's Austin, Austin Harvey. And uh, he was, like 80, 88 to 92, good curveball, uh, really loose arm. Not a, you know, probably like a large frame, one yeah. kind of. So anyways, I met a scout through that named Sean Whalen, uh, who is, uh, he was with the Indians at the time. I had just gotten out of college, was trying to get into baseball. And so I started as like a, literally a bird dog with him. And I would, you know, just run around all over the place. And, uh, you know, I wasn't getting... I was spending all my own money to go everywhere. So, you know, I remember looking at like my credit card bill and like how much gas I was spending right. and yeah. I would go see anything and everything. Like if he told me to go somewhere and if he didn't, then I was going to go watch something else. And I just kind of got a reputation as a hard worker then moved on to the Colorado Rockies as like a paid part-time scout for Gary Wilson. Yeah. Uh, who's, who's now the West coast scout for the, or, or, or cross checker for the Royals. And they paid me basically to do the state of Washington. So I just, he was coming from Northern California at the time as the area scout and I helped him. And then from there, a guy by the name of Bo Hughes, who worked for the Los Angeles Angels, he was the West Coast cross checker. Him and Eddie Bain interviewed me for the, for the basically to be the Northwest area scout for the, for the Angels. So I did that for uh, six, seven years. And then, and then I've been over here with the, with the Texas Rangers for, God, unbelievable. Like this is my 10th year cross checking. Like no wonder I'm gray. This is why I cut my hair short. Yeah, man. The, the hair is looking amazing right now. That's good stuff. It's out of control. Way too much gel. <laughs> so you, you, so you started your career with the angels and mm -hmm. so a lot of families and parents here, like, Oh, that guy's a scout. You mentioned a bird dog or an associate. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit more about that. Cause you're, you're saying that, you're helping this team, you're helping the angels or you're helping whoever and, but you're spending your own money. Now, why do you have to spend your own money? Explain that for us. Great question. So if you're a bird dog or an associate scout for, and you, that usually is with an area scout. So for example, you know, if you work the four corner area, you would maybe have a bird dog in Salt Lake city, for example, that keeps an eye, they get paid nothing. Yeah. Like if, if they now, if they on, if by chance they find someone like unique, then you would get like almost like a little stipend. Like, I think it's like $2,000 per contracts at the time. They, they give you a piece of paper as a contract, but basically it's nothing. 
you know, at the end of the day and they don't give you any expenses or any salary. So really you're driving around. It's, it's, it's almost like an internship. Yeah. That's the way I would kind of look at it. And if you do, you know, well, then, you know, that's the whole point is it helps you network and, and kind of learn on the job at the same time. And maybe you find something, you know, I, I think, I, I think my first year as a bird dog with the Cleveland Indians, you know, I found a kid at like a division three school that they drafted in like the 30, you know, it was in the late thirties, forties kind of round pick. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's what you do. And then you hope that leads to something else. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had a couple of bird dogs associates and they, after a little while, they realized too that, Oh yeah, I'm not getting paid to do this. So it's, it's uh, obviously you got to have a love for it, a passion for it. Be willing to spend your own money. A lot of times I have a, a gentleman that's, he's somewhat retired an older gem, but just loves baseball. So he wants to right. go around and, Hey, I saw a guy here, like, make sure you come check out this guy. And, and then obviously you got to get some, well, we'll go get some velo on him if he's a pitcher, you know, and he may like him and and he's touching 90 or something like that, but he's really more 84, 85. And then you can kind of squash that right away and be like, okay, well, that that's not what we're looking for right now. It's, it sounds like he can project, he's probably got to go to school, go to junior college. He needs more time. Right. So right. it's interesting about that. So what are, uh, as you were an area scout with the angels, what was your area? Was it all of Northwest? Tell us that. Yeah, I was, uh, uh, British Columbia, Alberta, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. Okay. And then I, uh, I had Alaska, but Alaska didn't, you know, aside from Alaska collegiate league really wasn't, you know, you'd have maybe a name every five or so years you would check out nothing like substantial. So tough area because the weather's so it's the weather's hard. Yeah. You know, you try to get, you know, your boss up to come cross check a kid and it's like, Oh, I got rained out again. Oh, I got rained out again. You know? <laughs> and so now they got more turf in the Northwest cause they realize they can't play unless yeah. they have that. And, and a lot of the times when they're playing on that turf, those games are canceled in other locations. Yeah. Southern California, they cancel for a week, you know? So. Yeah. Well, I know like being in the four corners area in Vegas, Arizona, the, the desert essentially, I know probably if you talk to those coaches up in, in the Northwest, it's very difficult to get those kids to come up there. Right. And, and so like a Washington state, you know, a Seattle, you know, teams like that, but, but then you have Oregon, then you have Oregon state, you know, those are the, the big schools out there. But so tell us about now, now you've been, you've been at a cross tracker, we said for 10 years, what is a, a day in the life of Casey Harvey as a cross checker during the season? Um, in a normal season, like, like before, let's just say the coronavirus hit, I would wake up at, let's say I got a, a 7.30 flight. I'd wake up at like 5, probably 5.30, shower, grab my stuff, go out the door, drive either to Seattle or Everett, Washington. I'm kind of fortunate I got a new airport next to me. It's about 15 minutes away. Oh, nice. Depending upon where I'm having to go. You know, I race down there. If it's Seattle, it's really hard because that's like, I got to basically beat all the traffic until it's, you know, before it builds up and park, go through security, get on a plane, land, get my rental car, and then either hope that I can check in early to my hotel or go straight to the game. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you know, some everywhere in between, I got to eat and, um, and then maybe go to another game or sometimes like I, I literally fly somewhere, watch a game go back to the airport, return my rental car, and then fly somewhere else. So it's, 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 it's taxing just the logistics of everything, you know, the, everything you have to do to um, get from point A to point B. I've had a couple times I've taken like three flights in a day, which is, I'm trying to <laughs> ever do that again. Like, like Arizona, game in early morning, you know, game in Arizona. And then I flew to Nevada. Then I flew to... I want to say Orange County, and I saw three games and three different guys, which is like ridiculous. Like, yeah, was that when you were a first year cross checker or something? Like, trying yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Trying to really <laughs> grind it out, right? <laughs> then you're so tired you don't remember what you saw. Yeah. So, like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like, just yeah, it's dangerous too because yeah, you're, you're, you're holding up the gun. You're like, yeah. uh, <laughs> run on fumes. So yeah, so you so the travel's insane, right? Hmm. I mean, you can be on a plane almost every day, almost every other day. Um, obviously, you, you have to strategize. Now, how do you strategize going to see which player? 
That's a good question. Like usually at the beginning of the season, depending upon who's playing, I will, um, I will like target like my top guys first. So we have the summer where we have follows either from the Cape Cod league, collegiate league, you know, all, any collegiate league, it could be the Northwoods league. Um, it could be like these showcases. It'll, and a lot of, you know, the high school stuff in the Northern States, it doesn't start, you know, until, you know, later. So a majority of the stuff I'm probably doing early in the season is I'm targeting key names and probably guys that we got rated higher. And then I'll go see them. Southern California is ridiculous. They play high school year round. So yeah. if you want to go see, you know, a tournament and right before Christmas, you can see it in, you know, in Palm Springs or in January, they got fall ball. So that's, I, I work on priority. And then, and then the hard part is like, okay, when do they play? Where do they play? Yeah. And then what's the weather? Because everything, you know, I remember I used to buy my flights in advance. You know, I would have an entire week of like everything lined up and then the weather would hit and I'd have to cancel everything, yeah. you know, change fees and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So a lot of it is last minute. There's times like I'll fly somewhere and not know if a certain kid's going to pitch or not due to weather or maybe a coaching decision. Yeah. And I literally don't have a flight bought yet. And then I buy the flight and then boom, I'm taken off. So it's a lot of like uh, instantaneous decisions based upon weather and schedule and stuff. And then you look for runs. Like that's the biggest thing. Like where, Oh, this is a really good run right here. Or like, ah, you know, you really want to stay in one area, whether let's say my region is Northern California. I want to be down there in that Bay area. But if there's only like one game going on, that's worthwhile. I'm bouncing. I'm going back to the airport and I'm going to go somewhere else. So. Right. So, so a run is basically you're saying I, I'm flying to a certain area. I'm flying to California. I have, I'm looking at my priority guys. I got this righty throwing today, this lefty's throwing tonight, and then I can go see the shortstop tomorrow. I can go see that first baseman or catcher the next day. So you're talking a run is two, three, four, five days in a row in the same general area. Correct. Correct. And and even if it is, it, it can be split up. Like, you know, some of it could be in Southern California, and then maybe I got to jump on a plane in San Diego and fly to Phoenix and go see stuff there. But that's what you're trying to do. Like, it, unfortunately, not all the time does it line up. And you love it when it lines up in the same region because you can just sit in the car, you know, yeah. and drive all over the place. But when you're a cross checker, like, it's like, okay, I got to, you know, oh, man, there's <laughs> only one thing really going on. I don't want to see that guy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I got three guys over here playing in the same, you know, it could be the same game. So that's, uh, that's, the, that's the best. Actually, the hardest part is just the scheduling of it. And then you know, hopefully you don't get, you know, like a flight delay or, yeah. or anything like that. You know, I've, I've had that where like, I'm literally on a plane and then they pull back into the airport and I'm like, okay, well that game's canceled. And then I literally run across the next terminal and then I hop on another plane and I'm off and running somewhere else. It's, it's yeah. crazy. crazy. <laughs> that's it's, it is crazy. And that's so, and I guess I'll point out the difference. So now with me as an area scout, I cover my area. My, it's the four corners. So I have Vegas, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, mainly in Arizona and Phoenix most of the time. And I would say um, there's only me and Jeff Scholzen that lives outside of Phoenix that covers our area. Everybody else is in Phoenix. Uh, there's a ton of cross checkers. The scouting community, there's a ton in Phoenix, or it seems like California, right? That's probably fair to say, right? Yep. Um, you're in Seattle and kind of spread out. But that's the cool thing about the job is all you got to do is hop on a plane and, you know, a team is willing to pay for that to, for you to do your job and live in your hometown. Um, so that's pretty cool. So you're cross-checking. Um, explain to us, what is a national cross-checker? Okay, they, they basically – you know, like, for example, I'm responsible for basically managing my five area scouts and just communicating and working together on, like, who we're seeing and, and who we're not. And that's just my region, the West Coast. All right, a national cross-checker is someone that goes all over. They go all over the, the entire United States, Canada, and Puerto Rico, and they go see the best or the highest-graded players by the area scout and the, and the, and the West Coast Um supervisors so it's a brutal job like it's really hard sometimes they're showering in you know airports 
<laughs> you know, I mean, I, I know Kip, there's been times I'm like, where are you? He goes, oh, I just got done, you know, getting, you know, he literally didn't go to bed. Like he's sleeping on the plane. Right. It's incredibly hard. Like you really, you want to do, you know, ideally you'd like to stay in a region and then go to another next region, but that isn't how it works. Like mm-hmm. you, these guys could be in Virginia watching a pitcher and then they'll fly all the way to, you know, Texas and watch someone else play. So it's exhausting job. <laughs> and their job is really to help organize, you know, this guy over that guy over that guy over that guy on the national board. And, and then listen, you got to, li- they got to listen, you know, a good, a good, a good national guy, like listens to his regional guy really communicates well with the area guys and then kind of asks questions, you know, and, and we all try to basically together fill in the, you know, the pieces. So, yeah, so they're they're looking at, you know, whereas me as an area scout, I'm probably gonna write anywhere from and depends on how how low I want to get on, you know, there's non-prospects, there's org players. I probably write about 70 to 80 reports per year, you know, to get to prepare for the draft. Um and, and I'll be frank with you, I probably only really like like that I would really like to draft, maybe 15 to 20 of them. Um and and some of them are required to write you know reports on some of them we know are just not prospects but we also know that these prospects that we do draft they have to play with somebody mm-hmm. right they we have to right. fill these teams out it's obviously l- way different this year with the five rounds and the free agent draft going on so right. I think everyone's just trying to get a feel for, what are we going to do right um what is what's the ultimate goal for you as a scout? Because I know some guys just love being an area scout. Some mm-hmm. just would love to be a cross checker. They really like that job. What, what would you say that is for you? That's a great question. Um, you know, when I first got into this, like I was just happy being an area supervisor and driving around and you know trying to find big leaguers and beat other you know scouts and stuff. And I actually really like what I do even though, you know, I live here up north of Seattle, it's, it's, it's actually not that hard for me to, you know, get on a flight and it's two and a half hours, you know, like, yeah. I think my, my, my worst, my worst location to get to is El Paso, Texas of my territory. Yeah. You know, that one, that one's, yeah. that one's a bummer. Cause you're like, where's the non-stops? You know, there is <laughs> non-stops. You're trying to go to Las Cruces, right. And, and go to yeah. El Paso to get there or into Texas, keep going further into Texas. Right. 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 So um, I had, a, obviously we talked about, you know, what happened in my life with my wife passing away from cancer two and a half years ago. And my son was only two years old. And, you know, that was, that was an eye opener for me. Cause I think initially, like I had an opportunity to go with another organization in a, in a larger kind of uh, potential pro director role. And then all that came, you know, that didn't work out. And then she got sick and it kind of gave me more perspective. Like as much as I, I would love to do it. I think at the end of the day, like I, I, I'm at peace with the fact that there's a bigger, there's bigger things in life than just pure career. You know, I mean, the last thing I probably want to do is, you know, watch everyone else's kids, but my own play baseball, or let's say it's football, or let's say it's guitar or, or whatever he's going to do. So that, that life experience, you know, of dealing with my, my wife passing and, and seeing, you know, that 22 month process and how difficult it was it really opened up my eyes to like it's not that I'm don't want to like move up it's just that I if I had to I probably would be more uh I guess require like that I am home about about similar to what I am as a cross checker you know because I mean we're only on this planet for so long we're like basically all of us are just a moment in time that's what we are and so it that opened my eyes to like I still want to be great in my, my occupation. Like I want to be considered one of the best in the region and in, in the country, but I don't want to like sacrifice, like not seeing my, my, you know, son grow up. That's absolutely like paramount to me. And, and if you asked me that four years ago, that probably wouldn't be the case, but being a new dad, yeah, you know, I mean, that changed everything. So. Yeah. So you, you have a little boy named Hudson. He's four <laughs> now. So tell, tell us about Hudson. Now, Hudson's um, interesting, you know, I, I'm basically a single parent. So uh, when my wife passed, you know, I don't think any man in the world thinks about like, I, I got to be mom and dad, right? <laughs> like I have to cook. I got to do the, no one's doing the laundry. Like it's over there. So Hudson is, uh, 
Uh, he's almost five, very animated, very talkative. Uh, he's, I, he's almost three quarters of the height of his dad, which is concerning. <laughs> very concerning. Um, we've gone through probably 12 pairs of shoes in the last month and a half. Oh yeah. Like just every, nothing's nothing fits. You know, he's got pajamas on right now that definitely he could walk through puddles. No problem. Because they're too short. <laughs> Right. And so he's, he's growing right now. Um, he's in a, almost a size two shoe, which is insane for a kid that's not even five. Very intelligent. Um, uh, addicted to Pac-Man. I don't know if that's a good thing. So I'm hoping to get, he was in preschool before all the COVID stuff, uh, before the old, all the COVID stuff hit. And um, as he's talking in the background right now, I think he wants to get back to preschool. And, you know, it's kind of like, when do I do it? Or, you know, how, what do you, how long do you wait until you go back to this? Right. You know. Yeah. Hopefully we get back to normal schooling. You know, it, schooling for us here in Nevada is going to start like in the middle of August, apparently moved up even like a week or two prior Tuesday, kind of the last week of August. Um, so now we're talking even earlier. And, you know, since we've had the break with this, the COVID kids have been home already, right? Two, three months now. And now it's, we've gone straight into summer. And you mentioned Pac-Man, the video games. And interesting as a parent, you're like, like my son is not going to play video games four or five, six hours a day. And then as time goes on, you're like, okay, yeah, go ahead, whatever. <laughs> like they're, they're like, there's only so much I can do. <laughs> I know. I mean, like I, last night I was sitting there and I found myself like, I'm 43 years old. I've just played Pac-Man for like 45 minutes. What's wrong with me? And you're, you're like, and that was amazing, right? Yeah. we do like you know you got to get creative like in this situation there comes yeah. a point in time where you know i pulled them a month early because I, I we were the hub of all this covid stuff here in lake stevens washington where i live the first patient who had covid was at providence medical center of all the places mm. it's not like i live like in in downtown seattle i'm i'm probably 35 40 minutes north you know i'm closer to canada probably than i am tacoma washington okay and the first guy of all, unbelievable, like was eight miles from my house at a Providence Hospital, the first COVID case. So this was kind of where everything really blew up first. And I pulled him about a month early out of preschool. And he's, he's you know, it's, it's kind of come to a point now where it's like, all right, you know, he wants to, he wants to be social. He wants to be around, you know, friends. He wants to learn and engage. So how do we do that now? And this, so we, Khan Academy for kids is kind of a big deal we do on iPad and, man, I'm doing the best I can. And then I got the draft going on, you know, at the same right. time. It's been a juggling act. I bet. So when you, when you actually leave home, do you have some family members or friends that watch Hudson? That's a great question. Excellent. Very good question. So normally what his, uh, his rhythm has been, and it's, it's the poor kid. I mean, he's almost been like a scout, like where you're like here, there, here, there. And um, when, when Chrissy passed away, her mother basically said like, look, I'll, I'll watch him. And I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll definitely, I got to give you something. I mean, obviously you got to buy food and all that stuff. So she watches them a majority of the time along with my family and then uh, my late wife's best friends. And so it's kind of been a juggling act. The kid, the poor kid's been moving around all over the place and now he's got school. So that's adding a whole new dynamic. You know, normally he was going to preschool like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then I would, you know, I would come home out of nowhere. Who knows where I'm coming from? It could be yeah. Albuquerque or, or Salt Lake City or whatever. And then I, I land and then I have to go pick him up. And then he's with me a couple of days. And then I'm back out the door. So he's got kind of a, you know, we're, this has been actually kind of cool being quarantined. Not, not in the sense of like it's been fun, but I'm, I'm abnormally home for yeah. this time of, you know, the year. And it's been just, I mean, we, we've really connected and that's been the kind of hard part, you know, is like when I go back to work, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm all over the place, like that's, I think it's going to be harder for me than him, you know, because he'll go back to school. But it, he has had a very, uh, it, it hasn't been unhealthy. It's just a lot of bouncing around with different people, you know, you know, that, and that's been, that's been my challenge, you know, and, and when now, now that I've been home so much, like he, you know, he don't like bouncing around. He likes that stability and consistency. So it's been really challenging, but you know what? He's happy. Uh, we, we don't have any, you know, issues emotionally or socially. It's, it, he's, he's a good kid. And, and yeah. that's what I'm kind of yeah. proud about the most. No doubt. 
So if you don't mind, tell us, I mean, obviously you had something tragic happen in your life. And I, I, we've talked a few weeks back, I talked with Jeff Scholes and our good buddy. Um, yes. he, he lost his wife as well. Um, whatever you're willing to get into, tell us about your wife and, and what happened there. Yeah, this will be good for kids to hear and uh, I think parents too as well, because um, I think there's a bigger message. And, and, and anyways, my wife, uh, she passed away from stage four melanoma. So melanoma is a, a, the most uh, aggressive and uh, basically fatal skin cancer you can get. And it usually occurs from excessive sun, sun exposure. So a lack of sunscreen, a lack of, uh, you know, clothing that uh, is F SPF, you know, uh, it blocks SPFs and all the bad rays from, from the um, sun. She was more uh, blonde haired, blue eyed, fair skinned. Okay. And so what I, what, what I sh I'd like to share with like families is if you have, you know, every, everyone can get skin cancer, but if you're lighter skinned, blue eyed, red hair, maybe just, you just have a, like a, like a whiter pigment, you are w 10 times more susceptible than someone else yeah. that has a darker complexion or, you know, that that's one thing we learned. So she got, uh, uh, I think she was 25 years old when she first had a uh, mole get melanoma. And when that, when that happens and it's at the, basically inside of the, the, the skin layers, they do surgery in, in based upon how big the mole is, they have kind of a formula where they say, we're going to go this wide and cut this wide. And then they cut it out. And usually more, more times than not, you're okay. Well, my wife's came back a second time and she had to have a, a really, really big cut on her back, basically from her shoulder to her, you know, her, uh, her side. And we hope we were hopeful that that, you know, was, was the end of it. But um, right around my, but about the time my brother was getting married, you know, she was having a hard time breathing and we went and got a biopsy and, and they found something in her lung and, and, and there was basically melanoma had metastasized. And, and what that means is it's basically gone from the skin level to now it, it's now it's really hard to, you know, stop it because it's, it's, uh, it, it spreads like wildfire. So okay. yeah. uh, we, we moved, we moved to uh, um, Houston, Texas with the help of the Texas Rangers, our owners, uh, our general manager, and basically the, the best melanoma doctor in the world there. Uh, her name is Dr. Wen Jin Hu. She's from Taiwan. She's a genius, mm. uh, older lady, great personality, but we lived there for like seven months. Okay. And that was, I mean, like a total shock. I mean, my son wasn't even two years old at the time. You know, we had to basically move into an apartment that was probably about a mile away from the hospital. MD Anderson Cancer Center is like the biggest cancer hospital in the United States. Okay. And a lot of the medications that you do are, that are being used on cancer patients, all that clinical trials, that happens there, a lot of them. So the medication that she was using, our doctor actually was the one that got it, uh, was doing all the testing for the FDA before they approved it. So we were dealing with the best of the best. And I think at the time when we went down there, she had like 300 lesions from her brain all the way through the center of her body. And so obviously it wasn't good. Wow. Um, and then we got a medication down there and like we got instant results. It was unbelievable. It, it was a total roller coaster, but you know, we almost beat it at the end of the day. What it comes down to is that um, the, they, we just don't have the, the science yet to understand why these medicines work really good. And then they stop working. Yeah. And she passed away about two and a half years ago. So I think one of the things like, you know, through that process that I, that I, I, I definitely want to share with people is like, you know, you, you gotta wear some, you gotta, you gotta wear, you know, sunscreen, whatever sunscreen you think you need, or if it's like, you don't like the, how it feels in your face, or you don't like how it feels on your arms or whatever, then, then get SPF cloth clothing and a hat. You know, I don't like looking like a, like a hiker all the time, you know, but like that kind of opened my eyes up to, you know, some things, you know, I hear we are scouts, right? We're in the sun all the time. All day. You know? And I wasn't protecting myself like I should have been even being a cross checker. So it's all about protection. Like whether it's, whether it's you wear clothing, that's SPF, um, a high SPF level of it or sunscreen or both. And so that's a huge deal, especially for little kids, you know, who are running around outside and whatnot, but, um, that it's, it's a real thing. It's actually a lot more common melanoma now than it has been ever before. 
because our ozone layer is definitely thinner, gone in some locations. And so that protection is, is extremely important for people. Yeah, I've noticed when we're out scouting, like you said, sometimes we're at two or three games a day, which could that leads up to hours out in the sun. Um, I've noticed you've led the charge in a way of, you know, I, I'm, I got a bald head, right? So I, I wear a big, if I know I'm going to be in the sun, I wear a big hat. I put sunscreen all over my head. Um, you wear you wear the sleeves a lot, right? Yep. yep. Sleeves a lot. Um, Columbia shirts that have that, those kind of, so that's the, those type of things you see scouts wear because we are in the sun so long. It's, it was weird about a couple years ago, um, my wife gave me a hug and she felt the back of my neck and she's like, what the heck is that? And I'm like, mm-hmm. what, are you, what are you talking about? Um, but I, I had, she calls it a, a chicken Joe. Um, and I think it's, I want to say it's called a melanoma um, or no, lipoma. Excuse me. Oh, yeah, you don't want melanoma. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, excuse me, lipoma. Uh, but it's it's some fatty tissue that is on the back of my neck, and and I went and got that scraped out, taken out, and that was about probably two and a half, three years ago, roughly. Um, and I could t- it's starting to grow back again, you mm-hmm. know. But, and it's like right on my spine, you know. So I'm like, wow. this is kind of scary, you know. And um, she just, you know, little slice of the neck, she scrapes it out and pulls it out, and it. Not to gross people out, but it was like chicken fat. That's what it looked like. Wow. You know, and I'm like, okay, well, that's probably not good. Um, right. So, but yeah, when like that, unfortunately, sometimes it takes something like that to like, okay, I better crack down and and maybe stay out of some like I should, you know, things like that. But um, obviously, this was the worst case scenario, and and it sucks. You've had to go through that, and um, but it's you know. I'm, I'm grateful that you have uh, a story and a lesson to teach kids because, um, you know, kids, especially the high school area, you know, they that, that age, they're, they're invincible, right? It's right. Like they, nothing's going to wrong ever happen to them. Um, so just taking little precautions, you know, to take care of yourself and, um, you know, wear those hats if you need to. <laughs> yeah. And go to the dermatologist as much as you don't. I never went to a dermatologist. Like, are you yeah. kidding me? Right. And, and it doesn't, it's not always genetic. Like it's like some people are obviously more uh, genetically uh, susceptible than others, but like it, I never went to a dermatologist. And I remember after that I went and she's like, we're going to take that one. I go, you're taking what? And she goes, yeah, uh, take your shirt off. We're going to cut that out right now. Like as a mole, like get a mole. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. So if it's, if, if it's not a perfect circle, like it has maybe sometimes it looks like pac-man we've been talking about pac-man right that's abnormal or if it hurts or if it's like you push on it yeah and if it hurts you got to go to the dermatologist asap you call them and and tell them like hey this something's wrong you know or if it's turning colors you know that's those are all red flags that's not normal yeah so kids like you if you have a mole like and you're like huh that's that's not right you know you it's just don't, you don't ignore it every year. You should go every year to the dermatologist. So, and, and I'm telling you, especially if you're, you know, you're in, you know, I don't, it really doesn't matter what, what area you're in. I mean, we're in the Northwest and my wife got melanoma. Yeah. We don't get a lot of sunshine like Southern California and Las Vegas. Right. So that tells you like, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter because you still have, you can have a cloudy day and you can get burned, you know, and you only get, I think what they, our doctor said because of the new, uh, just the, the rays are so hard on, on the human body. Now you, you basically can only get burnt five times now because of the lack of the ozone, like burn, like where you like blister. Okay. And then that starts the clock. That's yeah. what he told us. Five is not a lot. Right. You know, especially if you're in a nice area where there's beautiful beaches and you want to go hang out on the beach or surf or, you know, or be a scout. Right. Yeah. You know, we're out there all day. So, that I couldn't believe that, and that was probably what three. She told us that three years ago, so I was like, "Wow!" Like five times in a lifetime, you know, easily that can happen when you're younger. Yeah. Alone. Well, so that, well, I think it's serious, you know. So yeah, it seems like the kids they they want to. I just think I my like the girls they they we we make them put sunscreen on. We go they go swimming probably at least every other day here in Vegas in the summer. It's like get on your fit, get everywhere, right? And right. 
sometimes they're reluctant, but they, they've gotten to the point now, like, okay, we, we know we need to do this, but they, their minds are thinking, oh, but I, if I put sunscreen on, then I won't get a tan, right? <laughs> right? I, I won't get this beautiful bronze. I'm like, yeah, you're going to still get a tan. Like you'll be fine. Right. But it's right. like, how about not getting the skin cancer? We want to try to avoid that as much as possible. So it, it's, it's interesting how their minds are think at that young age. No doubt. I thought the same way. I, I mean, like there's a lot of, I, I, you know, we work with a lot of, we meet a lot of special high school kids, you know, some of them, I, I look at them and I'm like, I was so much dumber than you in high school. <laughs> like, I can't believe how, how mature you are. Like, I think I was 20 when I started acting like it's a main or maybe 25, who knows? Right. But like, yeah, I, a lot of, you just feel like you're an indestructible as a high when you're young. And that's not true. Cause Maybe what you did, you know, maybe what my wife, you know, did for she, she wanted to look good. She wanted to go to the tanning beds and all that stuff or like sit out by the river and, and get tan. Right. And look mm -hmm. good. Those are all things that impacted what happened to her. And you never think about that, but you really got to be aware of it. And so yeah. it's like a great platform to share that. No doubt. Yeah. It's, and hopefully those kids, you take that to heart. You just put sunscreen on every day before you go out and mom and dad are going to bug you about it, but they, they obviously love you more than anybody. So they want to make sure that, that you're taking care of yourself and, and those types of things. So back to on the scouting side of things and what we'll, I'll let you kind of wrap this up here, but what do you look for in a player when you go, when you go see a player? Cause you're obviously you're going to already as an area scout, you know, yeah, we're, we're kind of in a way discovering players, but we're also going to look at specific players. Um, but if you're not that specific player, because you, you're going to watch a specific list, how do you go about your process of, man, that's, that's a good player. Are there, is there certain ways you go about that? I think the biggest thing I learned was like uh, prospects come in all shapes and sizes. You know, ideally we want to see the guy that's really tall and, you know, big, big, strong and fast. Right. Right. And and, and the reality is there's a lot of really good smaller players. I mean, it's hard to argue that Altuve is, you know, one of the, you know he, he's not a good player. He's a really good player and he's little. Right. So uh, for me, it's, 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 it's some of the things like, you know, the, 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 I'm looking at instincts. I'm looking at timing, like, you know, with hitters, uh, swing decisions that they make, bat speed. Uh, particular, I'm looking at uh, where their hands are, you know, if their hands are loading, uh, the extension through the ball. How long can they keep the barrel in the zone? in the center of the plate to where they can use the whole field. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for, uh, you know, and I also want projection. Like if there, there's different, like I said, they, they all, everyone comes in different shapes and sizes. So if you're not as projectable, meaning like you're a more of a mature high school kid or a college kid, then I need a lot of tool set right now. Right. Like you better have, you know, a really good bat to ball skills, very good uh, recognition, and and just really overall quality of bats that's that's and then and then it really depends on where you play you know ideally like i think a lot of us want to go after shortstop center fielders and catchers and starting pitchers and if you're a big shortstop that maybe is not as fast you move him to third base right or if you're the shortstop that that's got really good hands and whatnot but i got a little bit short on arm strength we move you this second yep so um it, it really, it, it, for me, it's like, is this going to be an impact player? That's a question I ask. Is he projectable? And then how many tools does he have, you know, at the end of the day? So you got, oh, we're always, I'm always looking for five tool players. So which that means you can hit, you got ball impact, you, you, you're, you're a fielder and um, you can run at least average and, and have an average arm. Ideally, what I'm looking for though, is all of those tools to be plus. That's just not the case. Those guys are so hard to find. Yeah. So those, those are the guys that go in the top 10 picks. Precisely. Position player wise. Yeah. Right. So there's, if that's a, that's the fun part of scouting is like <laughs> all these different profiles. Like, you know, we took a guy in the fifth round that like, he's a 30 runner. You watch him throw. It's like a 45 arm. He's got really, really good hands. And then when he gets up to the plate, it's like, whack. you know, mm. it's like, you wouldn't look at him. If you do, if you only saw him running around the field, you'd be like, Oh, he's okay. Yeah. And then you get him in, you know, in the batter's box and he gets in the ground so well and just hammers balls all over the place. And it's like, okay, that guy's interesting. You know, like, you know, where you got other guys that maybe are like fast, really fast. They uh, don't have a lot of power, 
but they can really impact your pitching staff on defense and center field and save some runs. That's the beauty of this game is there's totally different profiles all over the place. So from, you know, I mean, pitching wise, I'm looking for guys that can pitch and throw strikes and, and, and have multiple pitches and do it easy and coordinated. We really have a stringent process on how we grade like some of these. Um, it's really hard to get drafted by the Texas Rangers these days with pitching because we're so critical of the deliveries, the timing and the deliveries, how your foot lands. And I'm not saying things can't change because I've, I've seen some really bad deliveries. I'd take Chris Sale. I, I don't know about you, but I would right. definitely take Chris Sale, right? I think I'd take Max Scherzer, right? Yes. So, I mean, there's some, like, I guess, characteristics that I really target on, you know, with delivery arm action and, like, how thing, how easy things work. And then there's always these exceptional guys, and you go, wow, this is really done different, but it works. You know, for some reason, they can't see this guy at all. So, I, there's so many characteristics on, like, what I'm looking at that, I, I mean, it, we, we could go on forever on, on that. Yeah. Kind of stuff. You know, it's, so, so what you're telling me is if you saw me in high school with a beard and a receding hairline already at 17, 18, like I better have now tools. Yes. <laughs> like, like plus, plus, you know, a Tyler O'Neill comes to mind, you know, he was a Canadian guy. I liked uh, my second or third year here. He's from British Columbia and, you know, he looked like John Rambo, you know, except yeah. bigger. And he kind of walked around and talked like this. And then I'm like, I'm like, oh man, this is there's no projection to this guy. And then he got in the batter's box and it was like, whoa, like, oh my goodness, that's that's well above average bat speed. Yeah. Got really good hands in his swing, really good balance. And he's, you know, he's got well above average raw power. And he's doing it against minor leaguers. Mm-hmm. That's where I go, all right, I don't. I don't like a left field profile. However, I mean, this guy's like manhandling, you know, 22, 24 year old minor leaguers and he's 17. Like the, that's where my thought process goes. You know, I think, uh, you know, some of the things that uh, we always want, like a polished guy, like the more polished, the more now stuff you get now, it's easier to draft those guys. Right. Maybe they don't have as much top end, but you're like, okay, this guy's definitely going to do well right out of the box. I think the one thing in scouting we've gotten away from is like projection with, you know, all this track man data and, you know, rap Soto and, and all the technology that we have now guys get better. You know? <laughs> <They do. laughs> so I think as an industry, we've kind of lost our creativity a little bit. And I know I did for a while. I would say there was like two, three years where I just kind of forgot about, Oh, that's right. Jordan Belazovich was 86 to 90 with a, you know, 40 breaking ball, you know, like a 50 change. And now you can't trade for him. He's 93, 97. What was his track man in high school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very good. Right. You know, so we've lost a little bit of that creativity. And I think we got to get back to that. And, and that's the hard part is because we're, we've learned to really measure everything, you know, much better than the human eye with this technology, but guys still get better. That guy that throws 86 to 90, if you have some of the other, you know, it's tall, he's skinny, he doesn't have a throwing program, he's never done weighted balls, right. right? Those are good profiles. And then if he does it easy and you're like, okay, dad, that's 230 pounds. Yeah. You start putting, you know, the pieces together, those guys are still valuable. You know, you don't have to throw 95 to be, you know, maybe you're not going to get the money like some of these other dudes get, but you might be, you might be better in the long run. Yeah. And, and our industry's kind of gotten away from that. And I, I, I'm kind of happy to see that we're, we're trying to take advantage of that kind of underbelly right now. I totally agree with that because every organization is different. And we're, we, I guess we won't dive into complete philosophy of each organization because I think that philosophy also comes from whoever is running your team, right, at that particular sure. time. So you, you kind of have to go with the flow of, okay, well, who do we like? What, what's our type of player? And so you – I don't say you scout that way, but it, it kind of ends up being that way. And that's who you end up picking in the draft and that type of thing. But yeah, I, I totally agree with, you know, I can give an example of my son who, who was kind of a late bloomer and went and did like a PBR event, did, you know, tall, lanky kid, right. He's kind of just starting to get stronger. And he had a certain number of, of exit velo. Um, just, yeah, he just did it off the tee. Right. And that's mm-hmm. how they were measuring it. 
And then you fast forward just like six months and it's like, it's like 10 miles an hour faster. Right. So it's like, we have to make sure we understand that these kids, if that is a measurement that these kids get better in a hurry because they're, they're, they're starting to get stronger. They, they haven't lifted weights yet, or they don't have a strength program. And you're like, and that's why you see kids toward the draft, they start going up, right? They're like, Oh, this guy, these numbers are starting to match up with what we're looking for, but he may have not been a prospect. You know, that, that some of these kids that were drafted out of the top 500, right? There's probably a whole list of guys that you could have really taken, taken and, and said, oh, yeah, he wasn't a big a top 200 guy coming into our, his senior year. But, dude, look what, look what he's accomplished in just six months, you know. So um, that's – I agree with that, the creativity of projecting on players. Now, it might still be a, a huge risk, right? Mm-hmm. They, they kind of all are in a way out of high school. That's correct. Um, but it's, man, you got you to gotta look at athleticism, adjustments, pitch recognition, like you said. Uh, but that's, again, that's the whole process. And that's what's fun about being a scout is you try to use that creativity. And that can be evident in the way you, you put your follows, right? The way you put mm-hmm. your ref lists, all those things. So it's fun. That's, that's what's fun about the job. I agree. Like the projection guys, I'll say the one thing that these kids need to know, like if they're watching this is uh, you're projectable, right? You have a, like, let's say you're, you're tall, you're, you're skinny, you're not physical, you're going to get stronger, right? The ones that are the most projectable though, have that. And then one huge feature, and that is great makeup, great work ethic, great determination. They're very driven and resilient. And that is the guy you got to get. And how you find that out? How do you find that out as a scout? A lot of, lot of phone calls, right? A lot of conversations, <laughs> interviews. You, you, we, we spend all year round, you know, studying your family and you and how, how do you react in failure? And how do you, re, how do, you know, how are you going to, that's the guy I want, is, right. is the guy that has all those physical attributes. But then we got to nail the makeup because if your average makeup you're not going to be very projectable because you probably won't work hard. You probably won't go above and beyond the call of duty. And yeah. so we're looking for a well above average makeup combined with all that stuff. And now you've got something that dude's he's dangerous. That's the dangerous guy. Yeah. Because if you get a whole team of those kind of makeup guys that are also talented, you're, you're in trouble facing that team, you know? So yeah. those are huge deals. Yeah. I think makeup closes a lot of gaps. Mm-hmm. Right, I, on what we're what we're trying to look for, because if you if you, if you ever play the game at, at a high school, college, or pro level, if you don't have the fire and the passion for the game to go out and do it every single day, and because right. I I played with players that you could just tell they didn't show up that day, and and then they right. didn't show up the next day, and then the next day, and some of those guys the, the manager could see right through that too, and they're gone, right? Because they right. numbers start to decline. This guy's not working or doing this. Um, there's obviously different circumstances and situations, but, but man, the makeup is enormous. And that goes for any, any job. It could be outside of baseball. Like at the end of the day, you know, when you got that guy, that's not driven, man. And, and if I'm a, a, a owner of a company, I'm getting rid of you. Yeah. Like I, I, I want a bunch of those dudes and that's what some of the great, you know, owners of, of businesses around the world, they're, they're not only talented, but they're looking for people that are driven and, and resilient so no doubt no doubt well Casey man this has been awesome uh, I've been wanting to get you on board here for the last few weeks um, I've been down for the count myself the last week poor um, guy I'm sorry but we had the we had the draft so I was trying to get Casey on here earlier and he's like dude I got three four hour zoom calls every day <laughs> I'm like yeah let's do an interview for an hour that sounds fantastic uh, would have so, been a zombie yeah, yeah yeah so no this has been great a lot of great information um obviously we're going to see you on the scout trail soon hopefully we get back to work here and, and things get going uh but obviously we wish you nothing but the best with your you and hudson and you know things are going to keep working out for you and uh we're going to see you on the scouting trail man all right man thank you so much god bless everybody and thank you for your time all right brother take care of yourself we'll talk to all you right. soon okay see ya. we'll see you thank you Hey, what's up, guys? I want to thank you for listening to today's episode. You know, if you had any experience playing a sport while growing up 
or even now, you know, have a kid playing a sport, you know how important the mental game is. Now, there are many that say it's at least 60% of their sport, and some will even say it's as high as about 90%. So if the consensus is it's at least 60% of your game, no matter what sport, what are you or what are your son, you know, your daughter doing to work on the mental game? I want to help you out or your athlete out. As I work with athletes at all different ages, they are all different as far as their engagement in a group setting or in one-on-ones. To help give athletes some options, I wanted to hit on doing mental training on their own time, one-on-ones, or even in a group setting. So I wanted to give you some options. My first option is my online course where I created over 40 videos where your athlete can watch learn, and go through these videos at their own pace. I would think and say that this is great for those athletes that don't want to be a part of a group setting or they have thoughts, you know, they don't want anyone to know that I'm actually working on my mental game. Now, these videos come in a yearly membership where they watch the videos, they have access to me through email during the duration of their membership, and they get a one one-on-one call per year. And this is a membership. It's $199 per year. So for more information on that, go to mentaledge.training. The second option is for those that really like engagement. I've been doing live weekly online calls where I pick a topic to coach on. I engage and ask questions with the athletes on how this applies to them. They take notes in their mental game journal and they work on that particular skill or the topic I give them for that week. Now, this option is a membership as well, and it's $13.99 a month. I also do get a lot of inquiries about one-on-one coaching as well as team coaching. I do do those as well. So you can email me at chad at mentaledge.coach for more details on that. But if you want more information on the links on these memberships that I have, click on the show notes and that can give you all that information there on those websites. But I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast. I do want to make this better. I would love to hear any comments, any suggestions you have where I can make this podcast even better for you and to help you out. I also want to let you know that all of these interviews in on this podcast are also in video form on YouTube. And if you go search Mental Edge Training Coach, all these interviews will be there as well. So again, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.